Please sit down. Isaiah 58, 1 through 12. Cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression, to the house of Jacob their sins. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did righteousness and did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why have we fasted and you see it not? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Is such the fast that I choose a day for a person to humble himself? Is it to bow down his head like a reed and to spread sackcloth and ashes under him? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? Then shall your light break forth like the dawn and your healing shall spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. You shall cry and he will say, here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then shall your light rise in the darkness and your gloom be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong. And you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail and your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt, and you shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. The word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Almighty God, it is a fearful and beautiful thing to be in your presence and to be among your people and to hear your word. And your word is more majestic than we can internalize and that we can recognize, but by your power and by your spirit, will you rise up and come among us? And will you settle upon our hearts? And will you open our ears? And will you open the eyes of our minds? And will you grant us to see Jesus Christ high and lifted up? And will you humble us down to the ground that we may be exalted by Christ? And grant us to desire only that exaltation and none other. In Jesus' name, amen. Please sit down. And uh, please, would you turn back to the Isaiah reading? Um, one of the great things about the God of the Bible uh, is that the God of the Bible is uh, deeply committed to reality. 
Uh, sometimes people ask, you know, how can we be sure that there's a God? Well, that's a question for another time, but the, uh, the really it's, it's, it's kind of the wrong, wrong way around once you get to know God, that once you get to know God, you actually are knowing reality in a, in a deep and fundamental way. And God is committed to reality in a way that his people often aren't. Um, so here's what I mean. If you look all through scripture, uh, one of the things that you'll find is that God's people very often fall into a terrible trap. And the terrible trap that we often fall into in Israel and in the church is that we find refuge and we find security and we hide out in falsehood uh, and in hypocrisy and in a phony kind of religion. And we do that because it's comfortable, because it's attractive. Like um, false religion, the great thing about false religion or the attractive thing about it is it's always telling us that we're great, that everything's okay, it's just fine. Um, and it makes us comfortable. And many of us, most of us, are, we're pretty darn good at lying it to ourselves, and we love to believe our own marketing. However, once again, the great thing about God is that he just doesn't put up with it. He just doesn't go in for it. Uh, good as we are at our own marketing, he doesn't go into it. His, his, our lies and our delusions, um, they do not fool God. And God, in his kindness, and it's one of the ways that we see his kindness, he reaches out to us and he unveils our falsehoods right before our eyes. And he takes us from phony to real. He is a God of reality. And that's what God's uh, call to repentance is really all about. Um, God, when he calls us to repentance, he is calling us from phony to real, from phony religion to real transformation. And when God calls us to repentance, the tone of his voice is stern. But his heart is kind. And I want you to remember that tonight, Emmanuel. Because this is a night for us to pay attention. And this is a night for us to practice listening to the kind sternness of our God. Because he's calling us to repentance. Every last one of us, he's calling us to repentance. And that call to repentance is a good thing. And I want you to lean forward and not recoil and not run away, but lean forward because God is taking us to the real thing. And the real thing is sweeter than the phony. So, take a look at Isaiah. So when Isaiah, when we come to this reading, the, the, the scene opens up, so to speak, and we're several hundred years before Jesus. And Israel, the people of God, um, they are just remarkably impressed with themselves. Like, they're doing, man, they're doing great. Um, they are believing their own marketing like it's going out of style. And they think that their religion is just really good. Um, so look at verse 2. So in verse 2, they're, they're clearly really observant. They, they fasted. They, they fasted. We won't, we won't ask about our own practices of fasting, but they fasted. And, uh, and, and, and they did all the right things, and they weren't even, like, boring and cold about it. Verse 2 says they delighted in, in the Lord. They, want, they delighted in, in knowing the judgments of God. They were really impressed with themselves. Um, however, despite that they were really impressed with themselves, they were pretty disappointed with their God. Because God wasn't following their instructions. And uh, see, verse 3, Israel saying, God, listen, man, we're, have you seen what we're doing? Like, we're, we're good. Like, compare us, greatest on the curve, we're fantastic, and you are not blessing us like we're telling you to. 
And this is where God's kind of sternness comes into the picture. Take a look at verse 3. It says, Behold, in the day of your fasting, you seek your own pleasure, and you oppress all your workers. Behold, look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. Now, can you see how God, uh, right there, he's, he's, the word of God is peeling back the facade on their phony. And it's a little bit like God looks at Israel and, he, and God says, wait, are you kidding me? Israel, are you kidding me? Like, over here, you're fasting, but in, at the same time, you're oppressing people. And over here, you're saying that you love me and your words are beautiful and you talk about how I am your delight, but over here, I can look into your soul and I can see how you're fighting with others and I can look into your soul and I can see your desires and your pleasures. They're not for me, they're for yourself. This is really all about yourself. And so... Because when I introduced myself to you, I was the God who liberated you from Pharaoh in Egypt. When you were oppressed. And if now you act like Pharaoh, then I must stand and oppose you as well. And Israel, it's as if God says, Israel, if that surprises you, maybe that's because you never really knew me anyway. Because that's who I am. Now, you see... Emmanuel, Israel's heart was centered upon themselves, and that's what sin is, or at least that's where it begins. And because they were centering upon themselves, they could justify opposing and oppressing the weak. And they had no concern for the poor, and their heart was hard. It was soft only to themselves. It wasn't even soft to God. In fact, their heart was hard even despite their correct words. Their religion looked and sounded orthodox, but underneath it, and God could see through it, underneath it, um, they were centered on self and they were just trying to get what they wanted. Their religion was a thinly veiled attempt to manipulate God just like they had manipulated the poor. They were treating God just like they were treating everybody else. And this is where we've got to pause, can't we? Mustn't we? Because religion can look orthodox on the outside, and it can be phony on the inside. If it, is not, if it does not lead us to compassion, then it is delusional. In the New Testament, Jesus says, not everyone who comes to me and says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And that's frightening. Like, does that take your breath away a little? It does me, and it's scary to preach. Because I can say all the right things. And I bet you I could fool you. And my heart could be hard. But I have never fooled God. And on the other hand, though... The sign, one of the signs, one of the sweet signs of real transformation and a miracle that God really does in the hearts of sinners 
is God gives warm-hearted compassion, warm-hearted and active compassion. Look at verse 6. Is not this the fast that I choose? To loose the bonds of wickedness and to undo the straps of the yoke and to let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. Verse 7, is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house and when you see the naked to cover him and not to hide yourself from your own flesh? I sometimes wonder when Isaiah first preached that, how it landed in the hearts of his hearers. And I can imagine that it frightened some. It frightened those whom it needed to frighten. And I must think that it delighted others to hear that there was a God in heaven who saw them, to know that there was a God in heaven who was not forgotten. And when I hear those words, I see something that is beautiful and compelling and that I desire, and yet that is big and overwhelming, and it's like Mount Everest. I look at it and I say, oh, it's magnificent, it's majestic, it's beautiful, and I can never climb it. And part of the reason verses 6 and 7 is so magnificent and glorious and overwhelming is because it speaks of the character of God himself. Don't forget how God introduced himself in the Bible. When God introduced himself to the people of Israel, he introduced, them, he introduced himself by reaching down into their enslavement and rescuing them from their oppressors. And from that time on, it was true before, but he went public with it. God has always been fiercely committed to justice and fiercely committed to compassion. And that's true from before time, and it will be true when all is said and done. And it's true from the beginning of the Bible to its end. And where does that leave me? Grateful. Because part of God's liberation is that he reaches down into the stone-cold hearts of his people, and he liberates them also from their self-centered sin. And when he reaches down and he liberates from our self-centered sin, he transforms his people to be like him. He transforms us to be a people who are full of compassion and lovers of justice. And that is one of the marks and the fruits of true transformation. Jesus says, look at the fruit. And so can you begin to see the kindness of God in the midst of his stern voice? Look at verse 8 and watch how God's kindness allures the hard-hearted people of Israel. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing shall spring up speedily, and your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Look at that, the glory of the Lord, that's, that's Exodus. You remember when God liberated Israel from Egypt? It was his presence and his glory that was, this, that was their defense. He got in the way between Egypt and Israel. And here, oh, and I will be your rear guard, and my glory will be nearby. And verse 9, I will say when you pray, Here I am, Israel, I'm near. I am near your prayers. 
and verse 11, I will satisfy your deepest desires even when you're in a scorching land where no other desire can be met. I will be the satisfaction of your deepest desires. You see, the Israel's problem is that they didn't really believe in God. They believed that God was stingy, and that's why they thought they needed to manipulate him. But God's not stingy. Israel was stingy, and we are stingy. But God is big with kindness, and he loves to satisfy the desires of his people. And so when you hear his stern voice, also hear his alluring kindness saying, Come, my mercies are big for you. So Emmanuel, tonight, let his sternness humble you all the way down. And let his kindness allure you. And as you hear God's stern kindness, both humbling you and alluring you, guess what's going to happen? You're going to recognize that voice as the voice of your shepherd. You're going to realize that you're listening to the voice of Jesus Christ himself who said this, and just listen super close. Jesus said, come unto me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And you know what that means? It means a lot of things, but it means that Jesus fulfilled verse 6 and 7. That Jesus climbed the Everest. That only one Israelite and only one man ever broke every yoke and liberated the oppressed perfectly, and he was God become human for our redemption. And Jesus came to us when we were oppressed under the yoke of sin. And Jesus came to us and took our, the oppression of our self-centered wickedness upon himself. And when he put that yoke upon himself, it looked an awful lot like a cross. And Jesus died in our place. And Emmanuel, that's real religion. That's what it looks like. Don't ever forget it. Let it be seared upon your memory and upon your heart. So go there. Hear the stern kindness of your God calling you. The shepherd's voice saying, come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And there at the cross you will find your God liberating you. And when you have been liberated, when you have been liberated from sin, when you have been liberated from cause of all injustice and all wickedness, when you have been liberated from that at the cross of Christ, then you will never see this world the same again. And you will find that you have a new heart. And you will find that your eyes are wet with the tears that Jesus shed. And you will look out and you will yearn and aspire and look for ways and be creative and pour out your thought in how you can serve and love. For you have been loved with infinite kindness. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. 
And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com give.